Hello, everyone, and welcome to the third season of the Ryerson Review of Journalism's podcast, Pull Quotes. I'm your host and editor, Ashley Fraser. From coast to coast to coast, tonight, Canadians rejected division. Well, you might have heard the news. Justin Trudeau was re-elected as Prime Minister last week in the Canadian federal election in a Liberal minority government. Here at Pull Quotes, it got us thinking about how best to unpack the coverage during this election period, particularly at a time when the rate of local journalism outlets are declining at double the rate of new news outlets opening. Our producer for this season, Tonya Serek, joins me in studio now to talk about this. Tonya, what were your thoughts on some of the numbers that you looked at? Well, Ashley, we spoke with April Lindgren, who leads the local news initiative here at Ryerson. She'll break down how these numbers play out in municipalities, but also what we can do as journalists and journalism organizations moving forward. To start, though, we wanted to speak to a local news reporter. Now we all know that these reporters are few and far between. Many news organizations, no matter how large, will often only have one local reporter, compared to years ago when four or five reporters might cover one particular riding. On the line is Erica Engel. She's based in Collingwood, Ontario, and she's a local news reporter for Collingwood Today. Good afternoon, Erica. Welcome to Pull Quotes. Thank you for having me. So to start, could you just tell me a bit about your role as a local news reporter for Collingwood Today? So we are online news only. Um, So my role is sort of tracking down stories, figuring out what residents of Collingwood are interested in hearing about, what they're talking about, and maybe information that would be helpful for them as residents in a democratic society. Over your years working as a local news reporter, and you've worked for many local newspapers before Collingwood Today, do you believe that there is a decline in local news journalism? Yeah, absolutely. I've seen the decline firsthand. A lot of the local newspapers that I worked for in the past do not exist anymore. So definitely there is less local journalism than than there was even 20 years ago. And through your own work, how has the local news landscape changed for you? Specifically, I when I started in this area, it was 2008, so I guess 11 years ago now. I worked for the Blue Mountains Courier Herald. Uh, that paper shut down about five years in. Then I worked for the Meaford Express. That paper also closed. Then I became editor for the Collingwood Connection, uh, which is a newspaper in town. And then they eliminated that position and, and have amalgamated those papers. So, you know, in in a group, like I worked for a group of papers, there was, um, you know, there were six six papers in that group, five papers in that group, and there's two now. Turning to this federal election campaign, do you think this election period felt less focused on local candidates? I did see that. Yeah, I did see that in the news in the news landscape. I mean, it, it, I definitely focused on local candidates. So um, from my perspective, you know, my work did focus on local candidates just as much as it ever had. But I did see, yes, I saw less of a focus, less of their voices in in the local uh, news landscape, for sure. And how did you go about reporting on the candidates in, in your writing? The week before and after the writ dropped, I met with all of all of the candidates that were selected at that time. So there were four of them. I sat down with them for about an hour and then used that interview to write sort of a profile story and, and some of the basics of what they thought was important for residents of Simcoe Gray, which is our writing. So that was sort of the first story. And then I did four issue-based stories. So I took something that was sort of a national issue that we had some specific 
uh, experience with locally. So something like the opioid crisis, which is we've, we've got some significant death and overdose numbers in Simcoe County. So I asked um, each candidate to answer a question about about the opioid crisis and, and what they propose to do about it. Um, there was a question on homelessness because homelessness has become a really big issue in Collingwood specifically over the last year, or it's come to light anyway, the amount of homelessness we have, uh, and specifically youth homelessness. And that sort of tied into a question also about affordable housing in the area. Collingwood is um, a high-growth area. Uh, it's a beautiful place to live. There's a lot of people who have second homes here um, Collingwood has a lot of nice things going for it, but all those things drive up home prices. So affordable housing was a big issue here, and no no level of government has really taken ownership over that. So um, there's a story about that. How important do you think it was to bring those local stories and also those national stories to a local level? So I've been thinking about that. I think it is always important to have as much information as possible and as local of information as possible. And I think in in something like this election, where there, there is a lot of polarization, where there's a lot of contrasting opinions, where there's some sort of extreme side and you start dealing with um, you know, a, exaggeration with fake news, with people in general just putting facts out there and nobody having time or resources to fact check all of them. I think it just highlights even more how important local news and local coverage is. I, like, it's always important, but you really see it in times like this. And what are we really looking at when we say newsrooms are declining? Well, that's been a question on April Lindgren's mind for a long time. April is the Velma Rogers Research Chair and the Principal Investigator for the Local News Initiative. She joins us in studio. Thanks for joining us, April. We know how quickly local news coverage is declining. How has your research tracked that? Well, one of the problems in Canada is that we don't actually have a lot of really good local uh, research on, on, on local journalism. Um, you know, there's a, a lot of uh, research and anecdotal uh, stories from the United States, from Britain, um, and there's a growing body of anecdotal evidence in Canada, but relatively limited hands-on uh, quality research that someone can say, this is actually happening in the news environment that we have here in Canada. So one of the objectives of the local news research project that I run is to try and actually do research that explores uh, the extent to which we do have a problem in Canada and and can we quantify it and how do we understand the implications if indeed there are problems uh, with local news. So through various uh, initiatives and work that we've done, one of which is the creation of something we call the local news map. It's a, a crowdsourced map online that allows people across the country in their own communities to add information to the map about what's happened to the local news outlets in the places where they live. So the map itself has uh, changes going back to 2007, and it records changes uh, in the form of closing of news organizations, local news media outlets, uh, the launch of new ones, service cutbacks, and service increases. And um, so when I last checked uh, our data, which we can download from the map, we know that there were 282 uh, local news outlets that have closed in, in about 200 communities since 2008. And if you compare that um, to what's launched, well, only about 120 have launched. So more than twice and almost three times um, the number of uh, news outlets have closed as have, as have, has have been started um, over the last decade or so. You wanted to look at how local journalism might affect this year's federal election. What did you find? 
So what I found actually shocked me, and I've been in this uh, in this business of looking at the situation of local news for quite some time. So, for instance, um, in the early 1990s, there were close to 200 reporters, editors, and photographers in the in the newsroom of the Ottawa Citizen, um, and today there are 50. Over the same period, the Regina Leader Post used to have in the early 90s about 100 people in their newsroom. Now there's 28. The Kingston Week Standard, winner of uh, Michener Awards for public service journalism, in the early 90s had 55 people in its newsroom. Today there are eight. So those sorts of statistics, as I say, even like I was shocked when I actually saw them. I was deeply shocked, actually. Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, you know, if you think that those newsrooms are doing the same amount of coverage, uh, providing the same amount of coverage for their communities that they did in the past with fewer uh, reporters, well, you need a reality check. And I think these numbers provide that reality check. What is the local coverage landscape that we see today as a result of that decline? You know, I don't want to idealize the past because there is a lot there are a lot of problems with the way we've done journalism over the years, you know, excluding or ignoring uh, certain voices in communities. But now what we're seeing are even the people that news organizations used to report on, for instance, municipal politicians raising questions about um, about the lack of, of verified, timely, independently produced news in their own communities. And the types of concerns that are being raised are, well, wait a sec, if the, if the local uh, radio, TV, online and newspaper uh, organizations aren't covering major stories, there's a, a void there. And into the void... Um, jumps rumor, um, misinformation, and vested interests who are going to start their own website that parades as perhaps a news website, but is really, you know, pushing a particular cause. Um, at the same time, you know, municipal councils um, are, are saying, look, we have a real problem getting news and information out to our, our citizens and our voters. So we better start um, beefing up our, our media communications branches. And, you know, it's not, we're not pretending it's news, we're not calling it's news, but, you know, we're writing it like a news story, and it kind of looks like a news story. So nudge, nudge, wink, wink, maybe people will believe it. And I'll say, well, how do you know it's true? Yeah. Um, which is, you know, the most obvious question. But then, you know, there's lack of alternate views and, and different perspectives. So lack of conversation and real debate about important local issues. And I think that is um, one of the challenges that um, po- that politicians are admitting to um, because they see they see that people are coming to them surprised by council decisions that are made. Why are they surprised? Because nobody was reporting on it. And then the councillors have to deal with the anger or the upset of their constituents and their voters that maybe if there had been some news coverage in advance, there would have been a public conversation, an opportunity for people in their communities to contribute to the conversation and point out alternatives or concerns that could have been addressed prior to the decision being made and and, and um, uh, taking everyone by surprise. Definitely. And do you think that a reduction in coverage of local coverage affected the results in this election? Well, the thing is, what we see now is mostly national coverage. Um, so that's one of the costs of the loss of local journalism is that um, it even more so than in the past, it focuses attention on the national campaign and the leaders campaign. Now, that has always been the case. Um, but I, I think that uh, increasingly it gets more and more difficult to for local reporters to have the time and opportunity to ask their uh, can to ask candidates for 
any sort of local perspective or uh, in a way that will give voters a chance to say, well, who is this person really? Um, and, uh, you know, there's so there's lack of time and numbers of reporters. And at the same time, candidates are becoming more uh, professional. They get their media training and everybody knows that these are your talking points. So uh, this is what every candidate across the country has to say if you're asked this question. And pe- so people end up... Um, having to decide voting for this automaton who's repeating one party's version of reality and this automaton who's repeating the other one. And they all sound alike no matter which one you talk to if you're talking to the Tory in one riding versus in another. Uh, Lack of reporters, lack of capacity to tell, to move beyond that he said, she said kind of reporting in politics combined with politicians figuring out that, you know, let's just repeat the message um, by let's have everyone repeat the mess, same message across the country and uh, and and in fact let's take control of the situation and put out our own messages on social media and YouTube and Instagram and 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 Facebook because you know there's no reporters t- to cover us anyway and so we'll, let's just tell our own version of the story it creates a real challenge I think for for democracy and people don't necessarily um, think of it. So we're going to switch gears and talk about the potential solutions to this problem. We spoke earlier with Erica Engel about working for an online-only publication and how this model can address a major issue in news organizations, the cost to cover local journalism. I believe very strongly in in the online model and specifically Village Media's model. I think it's a great company. I think they're in it for the right reasons and I think they're doing a really, really great job of online news. I think it mitigates a whole lot of issues that are causing the decline of newspapers. And, you know, number one is is cost. It costs a lot to print a newspaper. It costs a lot to run a big company. And when you take those printing and distribution costs away, you are able to put them into into different parts of your of your company, including including your reporters. I definitely think it's it's a it's a great way of getting local news back in communities. April also pointed to some of the solutions for addressing how to cover the cost of local journalism. She told us about other options that are emerging to address this issue. I think, I mean, there needs to be bigger systemic uh, changes. Um, Somebody has to figure out how we're going to pay for the journalists who do this kind of work. So, I mean, that's the overall broad issue that everybody is struggling with and nobody has a, a, a solution at this moment. Uh, so we're seeing the emergence of all sorts of different types of revenue sources or, or the search exploration of different revenue sources. News organizations are holding events, selling either selling tickets or drawing in their 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 audiences and having advertisers pay for the pay for sponsor the events so that the advertisers can reach a key group. Um, so events are one thing. Um, we're seeing a development of a sense of membership as opposed to subscription in a news organization so that people feel like they're, they have a, a, a role in, in making sure their community is well informed. It's not just a transactional thing where I pay for a subscription and, and you know, I, I get some news every day. So we're seeing that emerge also as a model in addition to advertising and, and or subscriptions. And these are not the only solutions. Some of April's research points to more collaboration among news organisations, which could work to provide a long-term solution to address the reduced reporters in small communities. So what's happening is that uh, as newsrooms get smaller and smaller and have fewer and fewer resources, um, 
And as it often gets more and more complicated to tell stories, say if you want to tap into data or you want to have some digital mapping to try and explore an issue in a, in a community, um, the, first of all, the, just the basic resources aren't there and, and, and the sort of more specialized skills aren't there. So there's a growing recognition that, okay, instead of trying to eat each other's lunch, as we have in the past, uh, uh, news organizations competing with each other, how about if we uh, pool our, our all all of our limited resources to produce something that's greater than the whole. Um, and we can tap into your uh, mapping specialist and my data journalist and another news organization's um, capacity for generating podcasts. And uh, and that we really uh, work together to, to tackle an issue of local concern. So they might collaborate on a particular story. Uh, or investigation, or they might do uh, a more integrated daily collaboration of, on, on news coverage so that they can cover more issues. Um, now, these collaborations aren't that easy. There's a lot of work that has to be done in terms of trust and logistics and, and building experience in this area. Uh, but I think that it is does have some potential uh, for the future. I, I should also say that the other element of, of collaborations uh, involves journalism schools. Um, so in Montreal at Concordia, the Institute for Investigative Journalism set up there has been bringing journalism students together from across the country, including uh, from Ryerson, uh, to work on a top secret, usually, project, investigative project during the school year. Um, and uh, the students do a lot of the hands-on um, gathering of data, freedom of information requests, uh, core, core interviews, um, to create a, a body of research and knowledge that is that uh, working journalists then come in at the end of the term, often actually they're the instructors in these courses who uh, on a part-time basis. Um, and then um, increasingly we're finding the resources uh, to actually hire students to work with the journalists. Um, and they actually produced some pretty hard-hitting uh, investigative journalism. And we saw the impact and examples of that in the pr a pr project called The Price of Oil they did a few years ago, um, which looked at the um, cost uh, environmentally and socially and in other ways to communities of um, sort of a fixed um, preoccupation um, with getting oil out of the ground in Western Canada um, and shipping it out of the country. Interestingly, at the local level, Erica put this student collaboration model into practice. And she told us about some of the benefits. Then we also worked with a journalism student from Humber College. She crafted a seven questions that were sort of more from a youth perspective. They were more um, nationally focused, um, but she sent them out to all of the uh, Simcoe grade candidates. And we ended up having six by the time the ballot came out. And then I ran each of those as an individual story as well. And then, of course, we covered election night. I think, I think there's benefits on both sides. I think it's good for, um, for journalism students to, to do something like that, where there are um, some deadlines and some putting their stories in, in publications outside of their school. And I think there was benefit to me, too, because, you know, it got a different perspective. It got sort of a youth perspective on the questions. And she was able to do those additional questions that I definitely wouldn't have had time for. Well, both of our guests have given us a lot to think about. That's it for our show. Our podcast was produced by myself, Tanya Sarek, and our editor, Ashley Fraser. 
Special thanks to our executive producer, Sonia Fatter, and technical help from Angela Glover and Lindsay Hanna. And thanks to our guests this week, Erica Engel and April Lindgren. For more from the Ryerson Review of Journalism, please follow us on Twitter at Ryerson Review and on Instagram at The Ryerson Review. You can follow me at Tanya underscore Sarek. And me at Ashley M. Fraser. See you next time.